Hey everyone, this is Kevin Kiley, and welcome to the second episode of Thursday's After Session, a weekly podcast about events at the California State Capitol. We are broadcasting from room 4153 at the Capitol, and despite the podcast being named Thursday's After Session, today is actually Friday, and very occasionally we have session on Fridays, and uh, Josh Hoover here was explaining to me why. why. Why isn't we had session today rather than Thursday? So uh, today we've got a session on uh, Friday because we have a Martin Luther King Day on Monday, which is a state holiday, uh, and the California Constitution actually prohibits the legislature from adjourning for more than three days. Very interesting, and we'll have more about the California Constitution in just a bit, but we're joined as always uh, by my chief of staff, uh, William Kolke as well. Hey, how are you doing? So, Kevin, you just got off the floor after one of the more important votes of uh, this year. Before getting into that, though, there's a topic that's received a little bit of attention this week, and that's a letter that you sent last Friday to the California Office of the Attorney General requesting an opinion as to the constitutionality of retaining Eric Holder. Yeah, so this is a uh, decision that was made, um, I believe, last week, uh, or that was announced last week. And uh, it's funny, there's a lot of stuff uh, going on right now relating to an attorney general of some kind. You know, uh, the vote that you just alluded to that we're going to talk about in a minute was to confirm California's next attorney general. And then we have uh, this retention by the legislature of the former U.S. attorney general, Eric Holder. There's actually a third attorney general in the mix because, of course, Jeff Sessions is going through uh, confirmation hearings right now. But uh, Eric Holder... Holder, who of course served as U.S. Attorney General under uh, President Obama, he was retained by uh, the leaders of the California legislature uh, last week to basically uh, advise California on legal strategies relating to federal actions that may affect the state. That's how it's described in the contract. And uh, it's been described by Senator DeLeon, for example, as Eric Holder being uh, our lead litigator against the incoming Trump administration. And that doesn't come cheap, does it? Well, for the moment, it's $25,000 a month that uh, the legislature is paying out of its own operating budget to Mr. Holder's law firm, Covington and Burling. Uh, that gets us uh, 40 billable hours a month. And um, there's uh, some very clear indications that this is likely just uh, the beginning of the compensation that, uh, that his firm is going to get. And is it constitutional? Well, that's uh, what uh, we've been looking into. You know, this is, let's let's be honest, this is about as kind of, you know, partisan uh, a situation as you can imagine, and that we have uh, a very uh, controversial figure in Eric Holder, who's been retained by the legislature in order to, it seems, fight the incoming Trump administration. So naturally, it's provoked some very strong feelings uh, on both sides. I've heard from a lot of folks uh, in our district who are uh, very unhappy about the legislature doing this. I've looked at this from a, a legal perspective, though. You know, uh, not uh, is uh, Eric Holder a good or bad person, or was he a good or bad attorney general, but rather is what the legislature has done by hiring him legal in a way that would be just as applicable as if the legislature, you know, had hired John Ashcroft. And it appears to me that it is not, that it is uh, not constitutional under the California Constitution. And that's Article 7, isn't it? So that's Article 7. Uh, Article 7 deals with the civil service, and California courts have interpreted Article 7 to mean basically that if if the state already has employees who can uh, adequately and competently 
do a particular job, that's the, that's the phrase the courts use, adequately and competently, then it's unconstitutional to then go out and hire a private firm to come in and do the same work. And that's just not some antiquated provision of the Constitution. It has a real-world purpose. That's right. The California Supreme Court has said that, you know, one of the purposes of Article 7 is to prevent against a sort of patronage or spoils system uh, where state contracts are kind of handed out to politically favored individuals. And the fact is that we've got 1,600 uh, attorneys and legal staff in the Legal Services Division of the State Attorney General's Office, whose uh, functions uh, seem to be the same as what we're hiring Mr. Holder to do. Yeah, so the response that this has received has been somewhat surprising. We posted this letter on our Facebook last week. It wasn't accompanied by any kind of press release. And yet it's received a lot of attention. Yeah, uh, it has. We've done, uh, I've done a lot of interviews throughout the whole state now. I went, which, which shows have I been on, Jen? Uh, uh, we have, you had an interview with Doug McIntyre at KABC Radio, um, John McGinnis, the Trevor Carey Show, which is based out of Fresno, and um, a few others, but our most recent one was KFI, KFI, I'm sorry, Los Angeles called, and you had an interview with John and Ken, the John and Ken Show. Yeah, so it's really generated some interest uh, throughout the state. And, you know, I think the reason is that that people understand that, you know, there are partisan issues uh, that people are going to disagree on. But I think that there is uh, perhaps a hope that um, no matter what our opinions might be on political issues, that, uh, that our legislators will act in accordance with the law. And the fact that this might actually violate our own constitution, I think, has uh, caused people to, uh, you know, uh, approach the issue with some new scrutiny. And Jen pointed out recently that the timing of this issue uh, couldn't be more bizarre, given that this decision was made around the same time that the legislature was in the process of confirming an attorney general, a new attorney general for California. Yeah, so today the Assembly confirmed the appointment of Javier Becerra, and the members had uh, a little bit of a debate on the floor and uh, voiced their opinions. And it was interesting to hear members supporting Mr. Becerra for the same reasons that Eric Holder has actually been hired and retained. Yeah, so that's where I uh, just was before we started recording, is uh, we had this uh, debate on whether to confirm Congressman Javier Becerra Uh, to be the next Attorney General of California. Of course, uh, the reason that he has been appointed is that our former Attorney General, Kamala Harris, was elected to the U.S. Senate, creating a vacancy. So Governor Brown appointed uh, Mr. Becerra, and uh, now today, the uh, the Assembly considered whether or not to confirm him. The uh, Assembly did vote to confirm him. I was one of, I believe, 22, was it? 23? 23. 23 23 members who, uh, who voted against him. But now it just has to go to the Senate, and if the Senate uh, also votes to confirm him, then he will become uh, the Attorney General of California. And I think you pointed out a little earlier that this comes against the backdrop of confirmation hearings in Washington, D.C. this week. But this confirmation vote was something very different to those confirmation hearings for cabinet appointments. Yeah, that's right. I guess that's the the third attorney general that's in the mix this week is Jeff Sessions. But uh, there is some confusion because we have these hearings going on at the same time. And, you know, you know the average person might uh, just assume that, well, this is kind of a similar process. Uh, but it's there's a very important distinction, and that's that the attorney general of the United States is appointed by the president and his authority is derivative of the presidents, whereas in California, 
our attorney general is elected. It's a uh, independent position under the Constitution with independent constitutional authority. And as I said before, the only reason that there's an appointment in this case is because the position has been vacated. And uh, so in my view, that distinction means that there should be a higher level of scrutiny, a lower level of deference when it comes to the legislature's consideration of a a gubernatorial appointee than when it comes to uh, Congress's consideration of a a presidential appointee. And that's exactly what we've seen. 22 other legislators voted against Javier Becerra's confirmation. What were a few of their concerns? Well, the most important thing for me, and I think for most of the others uh, who voted no, uh, is the issue of public safety, because the attorney general is the top law enforcement official in the state of California. And uh, there are very uh, good reasons to question just how uh, committed Mr. Becerra is to this issue. And if he understands the full scope of the problem we're facing right now in California when it comes to public safety. And a lot of that is the consequence of uh, a couple of initiatives that have passed in recent years, uh, Prop 47 and Prop 57. What have those done? Right. So in the wake of Prop 47 and 57, uh, we've seen a rise in crime like we haven't seen in California uh, in at least a couple decades. And uh, this applies to property crimes. It applies uh, to violent crimes. At one point, uh, California had the fastest growth, or sorry, Sacramento had the fastest growing rate of violent crime of any major city uh, in the whole country. And uh, Prop 47 uh, lowered penalties for a bunch of uh, different kinds of offenses, mostly drug and theft offenses, lowering them from felonies to misdemeanors. And Prop 57 uh, has, among other things, allowed for the early release of several thousand felons currently in California prisons, including uh, folks committed of various types of uh, sexual assault. And uh, law enforcement was pretty much unanimously against these initiatives. In fact, for Prop 57, every district attorney in the whole state except one was opposed to it. For Prop 47, every district attorney in the state except either one or two was opposed to it. Uh, Democratic U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein was opposed to it. Uh, Sheriffs, uh, other law enforcement groups, and they completely predicted what's happened in terms of the rise, the the effect this has had on rising crime rates. And Javier Becerra was nowhere to be found when it came to uh, the opposition to those measures. Um, a, he, he did not oppose them, and he doesn't seem to at all uh, really grasp what the consequences have been. Instead, he seems to envision uh, his role as attorney general as more of a political role, uh, kind of playing into this whole mentality we see among uh, some of the folks in the Democratic Party uh, here uh, that we need to do everything we can to kind of take on the incoming presidential administration. And it's not just that we need an attorney general who's going to work with law enforcement to manage the implementation of these two initiatives. The Attorney General's Office also plays an outsized role in the California initiative process going forward. Yes, and this is a very important point, because Prop 47 and Prop 57 were in fact passed by voters, um, but I would say they did not actually reflect the will of California voters, because the main source of information that people have about initiatives is the little summary uh, that they read on the ballot when they go to the vote. And the Attorney General of California uh, is in charge of writing that summary. 
And uh, in the case of Prop 47 and Prop 57, it was not written accurately. Uh, for example, folks who were voting on Prop 57 uh, were told on the ballot that this would only allow for the early release of non-violent offenders, uh, when in fact, um, people committed of crimes like uh, rape by intoxication uh, are eligible for early release uh, under Prop 57. And there's actually polling that shows that when you describe this initiative accurately, uh, it failed overwhelmingly. So I haven't seen uh, a lot of evidence that, uh, that Congressman Becerra is prepared to uh, correct the practices of his predecessor in that respect. And uh, Becerra's record isn't exactly supportive of law enforcement. Yeah, Josh, what was the, uh, uh, what's the group that, uh, that rated his, his record in Congress? Yeah, it was actually the uh, National Association of Police Organizations. They represent uh, over 1,000 uh, police uh, groups throughout the, the country and over 240,000 officers. And uh, they came out with a report on his voting record in terms of public safety and issues that they care about. And he did, he rated 50%. So he got an F from, from, from this uh, group and uh, definitely uh, raises some concerns about what his future positions may be on these public safety issues. Right. So that was my main reason for, for voting no, uh, is that the most important responsibility uh, of the attorney general, who is our top law enforcement official, uh, is keeping our communities safe. And that just doesn't seem to be much of a priority uh, for him. Now, that being said, uh, if the Senate does vote to confirm him, which I think is, is likely, I stand ready uh, to uh, work with uh, the new attorney general, however I can, uh, to advance public safety in our state. So... Maybe not the most pleasant news, but on a slightly lighter note, your office is launching a competition for students next week. <laughs> this is true. Actually, why don't you uh, explain this one, William? This is kind of your uh, your brainchild. Uh, yeah. So we've moved into our office here in the Capitol, and uh, the walls are pretty barren. Uh, traditionally, legislators <laughs> will display photographs of their district on the walls of their Capitol office. And normally what they would do is they would just get those photos from uh, their uh, legislative caucus. What we would like to do instead is to have students from the district submit photos to the office of areas around the district, uh, communities and uh, scenery. Uh, and we will select the best photos and we will display those uh, in our office uh, instead. So how do they submit photos? So next week, we will put online uh, the process for submitting photos. It will almost certainly be done over Facebook. So stay tuned to this space. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, the legislative process is going to be picking up uh, here in the next couple of weeks. So we're going to have a lot to talk about. And until next week, uh, this is Kevin Kiley signing off from Room 4153.